definitely always taking inspiration from California. And our whole brand, the ethos of it is it's accessible, it's laid back. So I take a lot of inspiration from Los Angeles, from the state, and sort of my goal is to make PF sort of one of those iconic California brands. Hello and welcome to Shopify On Location. I'm Shuang Esrashan in downtown Los Angeles. Let's say you're really crafty. You take your artwork, jewelry, or pottery and sell it at your local fair. The dream, of course, is to one day see your stuff on the shelves of a big retailer. Well, that's exactly what happened to Kristen Pumphrey and her brand, PF Candle. She started making candles in her apartment. Now you can find PF Candle at CB2, Urban Outfitters, and so many other retailers. Kristen is here today at our Shopify LA space. We're here to talk about how she scaled the company around its signature amber dark candles and California-inspired sets. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So there's a cute play on words with the PF in PF Candle. Tell us where that comes from. Okay, so I started my business at 22 and didn't really understand I was going to be a brand selling at big stores one day and just wanted a cute name. My last name is Pumphrey. PF stands for Pumphreets. Um, It was actually my MySpace nickname. This is um, dating myself a little bit, but back in the day, it's like Kristen Pumphreets. Then when I did like a study abroad in uh, the UK, I was Kristen Fish and Chips, but Pumphreets kind of stuck and it was my blog name. Then it was my shop name. I started going by PF Candle Co. in, I want to say 2012, because I couldn't, with a straight face, sell to Stephen Allen as French Fry Candle Company. So I just said, just call it PF. Keeps the history. It's a little Easter egg. Yes, very mystique, but (laughs) who doesn't love French fries? I love them. (laughs) So you actually started the business in a tough time back in 2008. We're going through a recession. So for yourself, how did you know that you were able to make crafts full time and make this business work? Yeah, honestly, I wouldn't say that I really made ends meet until probably 2013. So that's a good five-year, six-year stretch where I was scraping by. I was working multiple part-time jobs. And when I relocated to California from Austin, where I founded the business, that's really when things started to take off. Honestly, because I had no backup option, I had I wasn't able to get a part-time job. And I really started this in the recession since I was laid off from my publishing job. So I was writing about people who were making a living, making things by hand, and just said, I want to go do that. There were several times I thought, I'm not going to be able to make it work. And with a little bit of encouragement from my partner in life and now business, Tom, he said, why don't you just do candles? I was making a lot of different things. So he kind of said, if you just do candles, it seems like maybe you could get another job. You could just do that on the weekends. I said, okay, I'm just going to make candles. I'm going to stop making all this other stuff. And... It turns out when I really put my focus into just one thing and really built up the brand and the packaging, that kind of made it take off. Such a great partner. <laughs> yeah, he's he balances me out in many ways. He's probably one of the hardest workers that I know. And when he came on board the business, 
he basically just transformed it. So although I started it and came up with the ideas and I'm still responsible for sort of the brand feel and the way that it looks, he's really kind of the workhorse behind it, I would say. I think for a lot of people, when they're not working full time and they're trying to start a business, finances is one of the hardest topics to tackle. So how did you initially fund the business while you didn't have full time employment anymore? Yeah, in Austin, I was working two part time jobs that essentially I think made up an income. And I mean, also my rent was $800 a month, like split with Tom. So (laughs) it was very easy. But when we moved to Los Angeles, he was going to school full time and we had had student loans. I had some savings that quickly started to dwindle down. I found that I was really only able to make those ends truly meet during the holiday season. Um, we call it candle season still to this day, but I would essentially just take all the money and reinvest it back into the business. And we've been able to scale to the size that we are today by using that same strategy. So in 2013, we got this huge order from West Elm. It was about 4,000 units. It was so many units at the time. And we took the money from that PO and started PF as an S-corp because before then we had been a sole proprietor. So essentially investing into that, we took a salary for the first time. We hired people. We bought machinery. So just that continual reinvestment. And to be honest, in the early years, maxing out a lot of credit cards. <laughs> yeah. It's really bootstrapping in the early years and kind of using the seasonality to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Tom with his advice of focusing on candles, had really great foresight. But I guess at the time, there were still a lot of makers making candles. So how did you set yourself apart? Yeah, so what we found at the shows, and we would go to the shows, I would see other people doing candles. There were also high-end candles, right? So, you know, Diptyque was around then, Yankee Candle was around then, and there's a lot of small makers making candles and selling them at craft fairs. I didn't really see a lot of merging of the designy high-end candles and the craft fair candles with, like, lower prices, artisanal vibes. And beyond that, I didn't see really many candles for men. So we created this gender-neutral packaging, and I think that because we had that super simple craft label, the amber jar, and our scents were not necessarily typical, quote-unquote, typical candle scents. They were really gender neutral. We opened up a customer base, which still to this day, we have 25 to 30% male customer base, which is really unusual for a candle company. And you mentioned earlier that the move to California was very instrumental for the business. Yeah. Um, You also have an LA-inspired candle. Mm -hmm. How do you even capture Los Angeles in a candle? And how does the city inspire other aspects of the business. The Los Angeles candle was actually really fun to make because we polled our entire staff and wrote on a giant whiteboard and said, what does LA smell like? So there was good smells and bad smells. There was like (laughs) cannabis, asphalt, you know, depending on what area of the city you're in, you've got some uh, indolic smells, which are kind of like mm, feces. Okay, we're not going to go there. We got lots of blooming flowers. We got the ocean. We really took the inspiration from the space around us. It's such a diverse place. Um, I think that when we moved here, I had always wanted to live in California and the market the market just exploded here for us because there's so many more people who could sort of appreciate what we were doing and we could take advantage of. There's historical manufacturing here. So we had lots of resources. We had jar suppliers. We had candle wax suppliers that I could just drive to and pick up, which also helped me save money in the early days. 
That's amazing. So components of your product is actually from the city, not just the scent. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while since we've worked with some of those suppliers now because a lot of them are more sort of like middlemen. And now we've been able to actually scale to the point where we're working with those larger suppliers, but definitely always taking inspiration from California. And our whole brand, the ethos of it is it's accessible. It's laid back. Um So I take a lot of inspiration from Los Angeles, from the state, and sort of my goal is to make PF sort of one of those iconic California brands. Amazing. I'm chatting with Kristen Pumphrey, founder and creative director of PF Candle Company. So you mentioned the first large order from a retailer, Wes Elm. You had 4,000 candles that you had to make, and you were making them by hand in your apartment. Um, so how did you actually go from that and scale to your own manufacturing and production facilities? It, it's so crazy now because that's been eight, ten years. I'm doing the math in my head. <laughs> It's been, oh, wow, a lot of time since we first got that West Elm order, since we were literally pouring in my apartment, and we had these little stepping stones along the way. So the first thing we did is that we got a studio. We never really scaled beyond what we would need, so we would always just rise to the demand that we had. And Tom and I, although we want to always under-promise, over-deliver, internally, Tom and I would always say yes and figure out how to make it happen. I was so scrappy and just didn't know when I might get another opportunity. It was it was a bit of a scarcity mindset, to be honest, coming from the recession, building my business within the recession. So when in the same year, Urban Outfitters, Madewell, Stephen Allen, CB2, all of them were coming at us within the same year, which was 2014, we just said, okay, we'll figure it out and hired a bunch of people, sort of just scaled to meet the demand in that way. We moved from our studio in the Arts District in 2015 to a facility in Boyle Heights. And then we moved to Commerce, which is just outside the city. And that's where our facility is still. It's a 21,000 square foot warehouse. For founders who are in similar positions, they have to look for manufacturing space, large overhead, leases. What are some things you want them to look out for? Oh, boy. You know, the landscape has really changed on manufacturing and warehousing spaces because we're just now in the process of figuring out if we're going to move our location. And honestly, rents have almost doubled because there is so much distribution happening, especially in the Los Angeles area. So it is so location specific. I would say... I always look for a warehouse that has high clearance. This is something that's so key because you can always go up and that actually gets you more square footage. So if they're looking for a facility, even a small studio space, get that racking up to the ceiling and you've got way more square footage. So you went through a lot of change. You expanded your manufacturing facilities. All of this comes with a lot of cost. How were you able to keep prices so consistent throughout the years? We took advantage of the scale and started working directly with distributors of, like, say, our wax distributor or our wick distributor. Instead of using that middleman, we got to a point where we were able to go directly to them and order in a large volume. However, there is something that happens to a lot of businesses, which is they get caught up by that, well, if I buy 2,000 of this, it's only 12 cents. But if I buy 50,000, it's one cent. And then you're sitting on that raw material inventory. It's literally just dollars sitting there. We've made this mistake so many times where we'll buy, especially with cardboard. We love to buy a lot of cardboard packaging. Um, Just kind of thinking about getting that price down. So 
you sort of incrementalize it and see where you can scale. Whenever we got the big POs from those big stores, we essentially used that as our quote-unquote funding. So we would take that money, and that was the money we used to buy lots of wax. We're having 10 pallets of wax coming in at a time. It sounds like you're playing with a lot of different components, so the economies of scale, but also not putting too much money into inventory, so really balancing the two. That's been our main focus the past couple years, to be honest, with the pandemic is making sure we are not sitting on that money in inventory so that it is flexible and we can sort of flex the labor and the materials where we need it. And being our own manufacturer, I feel we've really been lucky because in times where it might have slowed down because of people aren't buying as many goods, they're doing experiences, then we can kind of shift the labor and slow down production ourselves versus we're not sitting on a lot of pre-made candles that we had to buy from someone else. And I think in the early days, you did a lot of fairs in person to get to know customers. Now you're online, you're selling directly to consumers. How are you selling candles online when you can't really let the customer smell the product? Well, this has been such a challenge. I think when I first started my Etsy shop and I put candles on there, I don't think I sold a single candle online for six months. What I started to do is We've always approached candles and fragrance as part of your home's design. So we would always use pictures of homes. And a lot of times our customers have just incredible homes and people are loving to put their spaces on Instagram. So we would utilize those photos in our social feeds. We do photo shoots at uh, houses that are really great houses around Los Angeles. So we're not just taking kind of static product photography. We're really showing you how it's going to live in your space. And it's kind of sending the message, if you get this candle, this is how your space is going to feel. And for me, selling scent is all about connecting with the emotion of scent because scent is so emotional. I think that's so interesting because when I think about candle makers, they talk a lot about ingredients, the notes that you will smell. And, and for you, you approach it really from the interior of the home. So um, has that always been your design ethos and like the heart of your brainstorming sessions? I think that approaching it through a visual standpoint has always been at the heart of what I've done because even when I was doing craft fairs on a very small scale back in my Austin days, instead of just using a six-foot table, I was building bookcases out of, um, well, in the beginning, PVC pipes, but then sort of like lead pipes. And this was uh, 2011. Don't judge me for my industrial vibe. But it was wood and lead, uh, pipes, and I would break them down and put them in the back of my golf to take them to the craft fairs. So it would always feel a little bit like a living room. And I think that it was really presenting it as a whole lifestyle, not just this is a product. I think that if you're inside the industry, you will get tripped up on saying it smells like this, it smells like notes. And that's just for candles, but you see it with other people too who live inside their product, live inside their industry, but someone on the outside may not know what that means for them. So if I tell you that a candle has notes of rose and sandalwood, maybe if you know those notes, you're going to think it smells good, but it's not telling you how it's going to make you feel. It's not telling you how you might experience it, the type of throw that it's going to have. So we really always try to think what is the customer going to get out of this, whether it's through visuals, whether it's through our writing or our emails or social. And I think it makes your marketing stand out too. Your products are not just against a blank backdrop. It's actually in a setting and people can really relate to it. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Thank you. So excited to chat more, Kristen. That's Kristen Pumphrey from PF Candle Company.
I hope you're enjoying our conversation. And if you haven't already, please subscribe or follow Shopify Masters on your listening platform and leave us a review or a comment for the show. Thanks. So we mentioned that you had all these contracts for large wholesale orders. How did you actually establish and nurture those relationships? We were really fortunate that a lot of the large retailers came to us, but there were definitely moments where you had to do a bit of seeking out and staying top of mind for people. Um, I can take the example of the first ever big account we got, which was West Elm. That came about because we did a pop-up at West Elm store in Los Angeles, and it was an Etsy pop-up. So uh, this is Instagram 2013, and the VP of merchandising at the time left a comment on our Instagram and said, how would you like to be sold at West Elm stores? Or something to that effect. I might actually be embellishing it now, you know, remembering it very dramatically. But I stayed on top of it. I got the buyer's contact through him. And essentially, that was the moment that Tom came on. And he said, if you can get that order, I'll come and help you make all the candles. Like, just do it. And I emailed her to the point that I felt so annoying. You have to really put your pride aside, how someone else might perceive you and stay scrappy and top of mind. We also, because we were at these markets, we were getting right in front of our core customers. There are people who loved handmade things. They were kind of hipsters coming to shop these markets. And also the people that owned the great indie boutiques we wanted to be in were shopping those markets too. So they'd find us through there. The larger accounts found us through social. They might have found us through smaller accounts. Now you can go about, um, there's services that you can use to basically put yourself in front of those buyers in a digital way. Um, It's very interesting too, because trade shows, still a thing, but there's also digital trade shows now. So we kind of do a little bit of everything and understand it's probably not just one thing that's going to make it click. It's a bunch of little things. Nice. So cast a white net and see who's interested. Yeah. You used to have two retail stores and you decided to close one of them. Um, What was that decision process like? Yeah. So we have We had three at the beginning of this year, one in San Francisco and two in Los Angeles, and we closed our Culver City store this year, which was very difficult. Ultimately, we opened that in retrospect now. I can see that it was right before the pandemic. So we opened it at the tail end of 2019. When we were looking for a retail space, we thought, hey, this area is about to kind of turn. I think there's about to be a lot of foot traffic. It was kind of like a sleepy neighborhood, maybe some offices, maybe a coffee shop. And we thought this area is going to turn, it's going to happen. And it just really didn't. Who knows if that was the pandemic or just the way that it was. So when our lease came up at three years, we looked at everything. We looked at the profit and loss of that shop alone. We also understood that because we already had our flagship in Echo Park, it was really splitting our energy to have two stores there. Um, We decided to close it. It was difficult, definitely, but lots of learning from that. So you still have your flagship and also the store in San Francisco. So how does retail play in your omni-channel approach and also help build the brand in a different way? Yeah, I mean, retail is truly how we started because we were doing craft fairs. So I want them to feel like an extension of that. And for me, my favorite part of my week is getting emails every week that update us on sales, but... I always ask my shop managers, can you please tell me about the customers that come in? Because I don't get day-to-day interaction with our customers in the same way I used to when I was doing uh, craft fairs or running the social media myself. So they will tell me the greatest stories that really 
remind me why we're doing it. And they'll they'll connect. This dog came in. This woman came in from Canada with her husband, and she loves it. And I just really love that personal connection. Fragrance is an experience as well. So I think it's an important part. And I'm so curious to see how retail is going to change in the coming years, because I think that while e-com is still going to be really, really important, people are still going to want to return to stores, but we will probably see more brand-specific stores. It'll be interesting to see how that evolves. And for yourself, you're a maker at heart. Now you're running a company and you have so many livelihoods depending on you, but how do you still flex that creative muscle? Yeah, so... I love to make things, and I realized I was getting further away from how I started it. So I started just making things at my house again this year, and I will make incense. I make rolled beeswax tapers. Um, my partner and I wrote a book, and it came out last year called At Home with Fragrance, and it's all the DIY projects. So in order to sort of you know promote the book and get it out there, I started up a TikTok channel and an Instagram, which feels so, it's so silly. Talk about putting yourself out there. Like I cringe every time I post something, but essentially just wanted to share this is something I really love making and truly connect to the process of getting off my phone. See, it's recording me, so I can't be on it, you know? <laughs> um, so getting off my phone and just reconnecting to what is so special about working with fragrance and really just working with your hands. I love that. Looking forward, any new projects or products you can share with us? You know, I'm very curious about getting the work that I've been doing on my own has really inspired me to think about how we can reintegrate small batch stuff into our line and making sure that we leave time for fun, creative projects like collaborations, making a line that maybe it doesn't have to do a quote unquote full production run, but maybe we can just do a little bit. Things that feel really, really special and kind of one of a kind. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Oh my gosh. I look so forward to all the new projects and all the collabs. Yeah. That's Kristen Pumphrey, founder and creative director of PF Candle Company. And thank you for joining us on Shopify On Location. Our show is produced by Megan Coyle and Gogo Zoger. Our engineers are Matt Schwartz and Miku Betlam. Benjamin Gottlieb is our supervising producer. And I'm Shuang Esther Sham. And we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.